Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Christmas is the gift of God's presence in your life like never before. This baby is God's presence in your life, the life of all mankind like never before. That is the gift. We don't want to miss that gift. That is the most precious gift that God has ever given to the world, his presence in your life like never before. Let's unpack that. Let's open that gift. Let's experience what does that really mean, the gift of God's presence in my life like never before. Well, first of all, what it means is this baby's God. This baby is God. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife and allow what's inside of her to come out because this baby is not conceived of men. It is conceived of God. It is from the Holy Spirit. He's not just going to be a teacher. Another great teacher. We love great teachers. All the religious systems in the world that were founded, they have great teachers and great leaders. But he's not just a great teacher. He's not just a prophet that sees the future and is going to tell you a forth telling of what's going to happen in the world to come and what, how you need to respond to it. He's not just a prophet that has visions and dreams about God. He's not just a prophet. No, he's not a man-god. There's a lot of men-god that we've seen in the world. Heroic men that do heroic things and have heroic deeds, right? Visionaries, leaders that, that do heroic things and solve heroic challenges. There, there's great men that have uh, given heroic uh, speeches and led men into battle and war and done heroic things and won for heroic causes, There's great men-gods who project God, who promote God, and try to point the way to God, right? The star, try to point the way. There are a lot of man-gods out there. But what this prophecy and what the angel is saying is he's not a man-god, he is the God-man. He's not a man-god, he's not another man who's just doing great things and promising great deeds and having great wisdom and insight. No, he's the God-man. Man, this has never happened in the history of the world before or never will happen again. He is the God-man. He existed before as God and he is becoming man. He's not a man trying to promote and proclaim God. He is the God-man. Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. This is a divine happening. This is a miraculous thing. Mary is pregnant by divine design and DNA. God is the real father of Jesus, Joseph. You're going to be the secondary father. You're going to be the surrogate father. But God is the real father of Jesus. And this should be no surprise. Joseph is a righteous Jew. He knows the scriptures very well. He was raised in a synagogue. He memorized them as a child. He knows the scriptures. Joseph, I mean, uh, excuse me. This was all promised, Joseph, long ago through the prophet Isaiah. 
Isaiah 7, 14, the virgin shall be with child and she will give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. The Jewish religious leaders knew this prophecy. And they thought it was not something you would take literally. It was a figurative thing. God's going to send another man-God. Another great leader like David, a man after God's own heart. And because of his great leadership, because of his knowledge of God, because he would be close to God, he would bring the people close to God so they would feel more like God was with them. That's what the Jewish righteous leadership and the Jews of today still think. They're waiting for a Messiah who's a man-God, a great human leader. Divine wisdom, uh, anointing, a great human leader. And what Matthew is saying to us as a Jew, this prophecy is way bigger than we ever thought as Jews. This prophecy is more miraculous than anyone could imagine because this prophecy has literally been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is a God-man. He is God with us. God taking on skin and walking right in front of us. This is miraculous. Do you know the Jewish people, for Matthew to write this, it's astounding because the Jewish culture, the Jewish worldview, the Jewish image of God would have made them the least likely people to say that God could become a man. They would have been the most least likely people to buy this and proclaim this message. Because to a righteous Jew, God is holy unapproachable. He dwells in light that is unapproachable. God is infinite, right? He is all-knowing, all-powerful, right? Ever-present. He is infinite, and he's transcendent. He's not made of matter, the matter that the creation is made of. He's not trapped in time and space, He didn't come out of the creation. He's over the creation. And he spoke the creation into existence. God is holy. He's transcendent. He's awesome. He's unapproachable. That's the God that they worshipped. And to say that he became a man would be unconfathomable, inconceivable to them. And yet Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ through his words, Read the Gospel of Matthew. Read the Gospel of Luke. Read the Gospel of John. Read the Gospel of Mark through his words, through his works, his miracles, through his death and his resurrection. He convinced righteous Jewish people that he was God. His his friends, his followers, disciples knew that he was God and proclaimed that he was God. He convinced them and they wrote about it and they told the world about it. That this miracle of Christmas was the greatest miracle of God because Christmas is about the omni-God coming to be with us in bodily form. Jesus was self-aware of this. As he walked and he taught, he made claims that were astounding that no other religious leader has ever made. Jesus made incredible claims. Here's one of them in John 8, 58. He's basically taking on the divine name, the covenant name of God for himself. He's basically saying, I'm eternally existent. I existed before the creation, before the founder of the Jewish nation, Abraham. Before that, I existed. I am the self-existent, eternal, transcendent God. That is what he's saying, and he deserves to be stoned for this. 
Jesus was just not some nice guy like the secular world wants to make him, a wonderful teacher that said good things. Jesus said offensive things. He claimed to be God. That's why they crucified him. Jesus said, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. I existed before Abraham. I'm eternal. I'm the omni-God with skin on. Jesus said, proclaimed that he could forgive sins. Only the temple and the sacrificial priesthood can forgive sins. Jesus claimed that he had the power over life and death. He, he said, if you destroy this temple, my body, I'll raise it up in three days. Uh, Jesus said, I'm coming back to judge the world one day. Jesus made profound claims. Not that of a man, but of a God-man. And his followers proclaimed a message. This is John, one of his best friends, one of his disciples, said Jesus Christmas is about God's eternal word, the divine logos, the ordering principle of the universe, coming to take on skin and dwelling among us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Peter, right, his best buddy, Peter, one of the inner circle, proclaimed later on after the resurrection that through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our God and our Savior. That's what he's saying. And Paul, right, the greatest New Testament Christian, wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else said, for in Christ is all the fullness of deity. Not 10% deity, not 50% deity, 100% pleroma, the fullness of God, the essence of God in Jesus Christ, the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. This is the proclamation of Jesus' followers, his church, his disciples, and they died for this message. This is the miracle of Christmas, and if this is true, it is the most epic, awesome, eternal miracle of all time. It is the greatest gift that is left unopened so much in our culture, so much even in our own lives experiencing it. Many times we leave this gift on the shelf, we don't understand its implications, and we don't experience them fully at Christmas time. Let's not let the world uh, crowd out this message. Let's not let the presence of God be pushed out by another agenda. Let's not be choked out by the pressures and performance trap of this world. Let's live in this message and enjoy the gift every day at Christmas time. What is the practical implications in your wife, in your life, of this gift of Christmas? What does it mean for you today in Orange County, in your marriage, your business, your family, your relationships, your health, your routine? What does this gift mean to you? First of all, it means that you have the greatest hope that's ever been given to mankind. You have the greatest hope that's ever been given to mankind. Here's what the book of Hebrews says about the incarnation, God's presence with skin on. What does it mean for us? Why did he come? It says since the children, that's you and I, have flesh and blood, since we are human, He too shared in our humanity. He took it on so that by his death, he came for a purpose, not just to live, but to die for us. That by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death over us, over mankind. You were not created to die. 
You were created to live eternally in a place where there wasn't war and terror and hatred, the things we experience in this world. You were created to be with God, and you had union with God, but that union was broken when we, when our forefathers believed the lie that they could become God on their own. That's the lie of Orange County every day. You can become God on your own. You can buy your way to God. You can perform your way to God. You can purchase your way to God. That is the consumer lie of Christians. It's still embedded in the world today. And Jesus came to break the power of that lie because that lie does not produce life. A life outside of God is separation. It's death. Because God is the power that eternally breathes life into us. And Jesus came to break that lie and the power of that lie in our life. That is the devil. That is the lie. The accuser. The deceiver. The robber of life on this planet. God's arch enemy, the devil, who wanted to destroy you and everything that God made that was good, deceived our forefathers and he's deceived every one of us in the lies of our culture. And Jesus came to break that lie. And free us, all those lives who were held in slavery by the fear of death. Orange County, in spite of all the technology, all the business opportunity, all the great things that are going on. And there's a lot of great things. It's not all bad. But we're driven by the fear of death. We're so afraid. The grave is an unknown thing to us. Our culture tells us science can heal you but not beyond the grave, right? We're afraid because our, our culture tells us, you know what, we're just natural, natural beings and we're going right back to, to nothing. You came from nothing, you're going to nothing. The grave is the end, there's no more. There's no hope. Where does it come from? Well, if Christmas is true, it comes from God who came to be with us in order to break the power of that lie and show us there's something more than the natural universe. There is a supernatural God who is over all of it. What is the thing that you fear the most? Failure, rejection, insignificance, death. These are all about fear, the fear of death. I'm I'm afraid of failing my family, failing my marriage, failing my church. I'm afraid of being rejected by people and neighbors or friends or coworkers. I'm afraid of insignificance. My life doesn't matter if I'm not doing something, making something, earning something. I'm afraid of death because it takes all that away from me and it makes my life nothing. Why did Jesus come? A God who is just holy, like the Jews, this holy God, would not have come at Christmas time. He would have just said, here's my code, here's my rules, live up to them. That's moralism. A God of moralism would say, hey, just suck it up and try harder and do better and become more of a moral person and you can earn your way into something more. No, no, that's not why he came, because he's just holy. A God who's just loving in, in the cultural sense tolerant, right? A God who's tolerant would have said, hey, boys will be boys, come on. A little evil here, a little death there, a little rape, a little murder, a little madness, mayhem, it's okay. (laughs) You know, I'll just turn my back and you guys will eventually evolve your way out of it. You'll get better somehow. You see, that's not the God of the Bible. Christmas happened because the God of the Bible is both holy and loving. He's 100% holy. He does exist in pure life light but we can't attain that holiness and so he came down to become a person because he loves us to live a holy life the life that we couldn't live to die a death that we deserved because we were separated from God to take on sin and death for us to overcome that in order to give us the life that we don't deserve 
the gift of grace, the gift of Christmas, God's presence in your life eternally, that is the greatest hope that we have. And that means that death does not have the final say over your life. That the despair and hopelessness that many in this room are experiencing is not the end game. One day, that all evil and death and suffering is going to be obliterated and we are going to live in a place of no more sadness, tears, and sorrows because of the love of Jesus Christ. We have the greatest hope. Are you opening that hope? Are you sharing that hope? Are you living that hope? God wants you to experience that hope to lift you up at Christmas time. It means infinite comfort. Right? Why did Jesus take on flesh and blood? So that you would know you are not alone in the darkest and the hardest and the most difficult seasons of your life. For this reason, he had to be made like them. He became human, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered. God suffered. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, Jesus suffered when he was tempted. And now he is able to help you, those, us, who are being tempted and suffering today. Are you suffering today? Have you lost a loved one? Are you physically struggling and challenged by your health? Are you dealing with cancer? Are you dealing with struggles in your relationships, divorce? Are you struggling? What helps you when you're struggling? Sometimes it's a book. Sometimes it's an email, sometimes it's, a, it's somebody who has sympathy for you and says, I'm sorry, but the people that help me the most are the people that have been there. When I lost my son, who are the people that helped me grieve and my wife in the loss of a child? The people had lost a child and been there. They understood more depth, they had more compassion, they understood exactly what I was, and they were beyond us. And they gave us hope that we could get through even in this most difficult season. You ever had somebody that's gone through just what you're going through, the loss of a job, a difficult marriage conflict, a child that's gone wayward and says, I've been there, I've been there, man. Let me hear your story. Let me tell you what my story. You ever had that kind of comfort in your life? Anybody? Well, guess what? Every time you pray, what does Jesus say? What does he say to you? I've been there. I've done that. I know exactly where you're coming from, brother. I've been in that place of darkness and despair and doubt. I've been exactly where you've been. God has been everywhere you have been, and he has overcome. And so he has infinite power to comfort you in your struggles and your sorrows and your grief. Infinite power. And he's put that power in a lot of people that can come alongside you that have been there and received the hope of Jesus Christ. That's why I help people that have lost loved ones because I've lost my child. And now I go and serve them and help them in a way that I never would have had without God being with me in that dark place. That is infinite comfort that comes from a God who took on skin for you and me. And finally, it means eternal intimacy. Eternal intimacy. The book author of Hebrews says, let us approach God's throne with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace in our help in our time of need. It says, Christmas says, because God took on skin, became a little baby in a manger, walked with us, and is with us now, 
You can know him personally without terror or trauma. If you read the Old Testament, when Abraham met God and experienced God, it was through this huge fire pot, this huge furnace fire pot. Uh, When the children of Israel were led by God, there was this flaming pillar, this huge omni-pillar and cloud, you know? That led them. When Moses went up on the mountain, it was full of fire and fury. And the people said, no, no. And Moses went there alone. And Moses met with God. And he said, God, I want to meet you face to face. And God says, we can't do that because you're going to die. You're going to die if you see me face to face. Hide yourself in the cliff of this rock and I'm going to pass by you. And you can just see the shadow of my back. And when Moses came down from the mountain, he was glowing So much that people couldn't even look at his face. That's how awesome the omni-God is. How powerful. Terror and tremor. And what does Christmas say? That terror and tremor shrunk itself down and became a little baby. A cuddly. When was the last time you held a baby? Now, Ben Appleby, my son-in-law, he has seven children. And when they all come over, it's terror and tremor. I'm going to tell you. And when all seven come at me, it is terror and tremor. But little Finley, she's just a little cuddle bug. And I picked little Finley up, this little, little Finley baby, and she just warms right in my arms, and she coos, and she laughs. She has the most beautiful smile, and I just want to cuddle her and hug her, hug her, and I can get so close to her. You just want to eat her cheeks up. You ever held a baby like that? Well, God did that for you. He became that for you. So you didn't have to have terror or trauma for his existence. So you didn't have to know when you died you were going to face some holy judgment so that you would know that God was approachable and available and accepting of you right where you were at. Little babies can be picked up and hugged. You see, God became a little child for us. And he walked a life and he died on the cross for us so that we could come to God as little children with the same confidence, the same boldness, you know? Kids, they, they just run right to their dads. You know, they don't care if they're muddy. They don't care if they're messed up. They don't care what they got. They throw stuff at me. They just whatever. They just jump into Papa's lap because they know Papa loves them. And Jesus Christ, this incarnation says, Papa loves you. He's willing to give anything for you so that you could come boldly and be hugged and loved by a God that loves you and wants to embrace you and wants to hear you call his name, wants to name you and bless you as his beloved child. That's eternal intimacy. And he wants you to experience that every day as you open his word and let him speak to you through the Holy Spirit. As you gather with your friends in the church and you pray together to experience that intimacy, as you pray and pour out your heart, you will receive grace and help in your time of need this Christmas season. That is the greatest gift of all. And and as we close today, you know, it takes courage. That's the one thing I get out of this story. It takes courage, guys, to open this gift. It takes courage. The world is saying that is a waste of your time to open this gift. You are intellectually on shaky ground if you believe there's a God. You're kind of foolish. That's what the world tells you. Why why would you waste your time going to church and spending time with somebody that doesn't exist and has made false archaic religious promises? Why would you do that when you've got got this phone right here and you've got all the technology, all the power you need within yourself? It's all about being a human being and doing your best. That's what the world is telling you every day. 
It takes courage and faith. Joseph had to have courage, right? Joseph had to have courage to give up his agenda. Guys, God is asking you to give up your agenda at Christmas time to embrace and open this gift of Jesus and his grace and his love. Joseph had to give up his agenda and have to say, you know what? We'll have this baby. I'll be his father, right? I'm going to change my whole family planning. I don't even get to name my son. He probably had another name, Levi or, you know, whatever it was. And, and, and no, his name's Jesus. I'm going to name the, the child. Joseph had to give up his whole agenda. He had to be shamed by the culture because his wife was pregnant. He had to do that to receive and embrace and experience this. It takes courage, you guys, to give up your agenda at Christmas time to not run faster and party more, do whatever you want, to sit at his feet and ask for his agenda. I know it takes courage, but God is calling that courage out of you to be the church. It takes courage to walk away from the noise. I'm sorry, guys, you got FOMO. Because I got FOMO. We all got FOMO. I'm afraid of missing out on the party. I'm afraid of missing out on the cultural stuff, all the toys. And we all have FOMO. We're afraid of missing out all this stuff, money, power, and success. And so we won't get quiet. We won't take an hour of our day to spend time with God. We won't pray because we've got to make produce. We, don't, we won't give because we've got to be greedy and hold on to our stuff. It takes courage to walk away from the noise of the world and receive and open this gift and relish it. It takes courage, guys. And he's asking you to be courageous enough to be still and know that he is God through his word. It takes courage, guys, to admit you're a sinner. It takes courage. In a world that's all about self-achievement, self-promotion, making it happen and being the best and the biggest and the brightest, Orange County is all about that Facebook, here I am. It takes courage to say, I am a sinner and I need a savior. I cannot save myself. My money cannot save me. My power, my success, my reputation, my money, it cannot save me. Jesus, would you save me? Would you save me and rescue you? See, it takes courage to open the gift. And you know what? That's the kind of courage that God had for you. It took courage for Jesus to come to this planet. No other religions talk about God that way, right? God is holy and awesome. He's powerful. But is God courageous? Our God is amazingly courageous. He let go of his attributes, the free use of his attributes to come down and put on a bodysuit so you could know his love. He set that aside and he submitted to the Father's plan and became fully human. He was fully God and fully human so that he could die that you might know his love. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to hold on to. That's Christmas. For his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing. He took the nature of a servant for you. He was made in human likeness for you and me. And found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by death on a cross. This morning as we come to the communion tables, there's four here and we celebrate this message, we get a chance to practice God's presence. That's the gift of Christmas. We get a chance to meet Jesus in these communion elements. He said, this is my body which is given for you. This is my blood for the forgiveness of your sins because I want to be with you forever. We get to meet with our Savior and King and allow His Spirit to pour into us so we can pour into others. Let's come humbly 
Let's come courageously and receive this gift. And let's ask him for the courage to love, to sacrifice, to give our money, our talents, our treasures, so that more people might know about his love. Let's ask God to fill us with that kind of courage, that we would be his light and his love at Christmas time. Because that's the courage that he gave for us, a courageous, sacrificial love. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, this morning, thank you for your love. Jesus, thank you for coming, becoming like us, a little baby, that we might know the gift of your presence, both now and forevermore. And that presence is alive in us through the Holy Spirit. I pray if there's anybody, Jesus, that doesn't know you personally today, they would say yes to you, Jesus. They would say, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And they'd come to this communion table and take your body and blood and realize that is the the gift of salvation. I pray for any of you that's in bondage to to fear and doubt and worry and health problems, that you would come to this table and as you surrender your life, that Jesus, that you would heal and transform and fill with your power and your peace, your presence with them. Jesus, give us the courage to meet with you, to practice your presence, to tell others about you at Christmas time. Help our nation to know you. We thank you for your body and blood. We celebrate it this morning in Jesus' name. As we end in worship today, we have four stations. I invite you to come up, take a little cracker, dip it in and say, Jesus, thank you for your presence. Thank you for the gift of your presence in my life today. Celebrate, worship. Thank God that he's with you. God with us, both now and forevermore. Let's celebrate. Let's worship. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.